Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Happy Monday, everybody. It rolls around every seven days, ready or not. And I'm very excited to tell you about my show today with my guest and my friend, Sean Story. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you so much for having me, Marcia. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's going to be great. And I want people to know what our topic is about, if they haven't already read about this on my website or on Facebook. And today's show is going to be about technology information, better known as IT, and information technology, right? That's what IT stands for, correct? IT, yes, it information does. technology. It's it. it is, and you are, you are about it. And it's it's important, I think, for anyone that's that's listening today, whether they whether they have a large business, a small business, their personal life, we can all use some guidance when we hit a snag on our computers. And sometimes it's a lot better if we can just stay ahead of the snag. Uh, that's the way I look at it. You know what I think is interesting about you and I, Sean, is that we met at our Playa Venice Sunrise Rotary a few months ago. And now we are both new members, and I think that's very exciting. And we're also members of the LAX Coastal Chamber of Commerce, which is something else that we share in common. With that in mind, I thought maybe you could just take a moment or two and just let our audience know a little bit more about you. Yeah, so thank you, Marcia, for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. We live in such a beautiful area, and I came to this area about five and a half years ago. I grew up originally in Silicon Valley in a small town called Redwood City that's not so small anymore. Started my first company when I was about 11 years old, and since then I've been running my own businesses, and as of now I'm an IT consultant. I work with individuals and small and medium-sized businesses, typically under 100 employees, to make their technology more easy to use, their business operations more efficient. And the main point of our conversation today, which is making sure that everyone's IT and technology is secure. So I've been doing this for about five and a half years. I serve clients in a variety of industries. And definitely the most prevalent industry that I'm in is the medical and healthcare industry. Oh, no kidding. That that and when you were ten years old, were you we you started your first company? Yes. I started my first company. Yeah. It was uh, it was actually in the uh, agriculture space, um, organic plant fertilizer in, in Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, Redwood City. In those days, I was, I was actually looking for something, some money to buy a computer because I actually had not really used a computer prior to 
the third grade. And so I had my first experience with a computer and I was like, I need to buy one of these. And we didn't have a computer at home or anything like that. I was raised in alternative education and private schools and whatnot. We meditated every day and it was a great way of thinking and really shaped who I am. But I saw this computer and I was like, I need to get something like that. And the only thing that I really knew how to do at the time was garden and do plants and things like that. So I started a business doing that, got enough money to buy a computer, and I've been hooked on computers ever since. Whoa. That's really fascinating, Sean. I I didn't know that about your background. Was it how long ago did you start the current your current um Sean Story uh Inc. Techno- technology Solutions? When did that start? Yeah, so that was about five and a half years ago. I when I came okay. to Los Angeles, I noticed a, a need for IT in small and medium sized businesses. Just in communicating with businesses in the area and my really early network of people here in Los Angeles. I realized that small and medium-sized businesses were at a severe disadvantage when it came to their IT. Larger enterprises had the benefit of less um, expensive hardware and software, and more importantly, more robust solutions, whereas small businesses, they were forced to go get their IT supplies really at something like Best Buy or Fry's Electronics, and I'm not bashing those companies by any way, but that is not the level of technology that should be in a business. So I formed my company with the idea that I can bring enterprise-grade technology and stellar customer service to those small and medium businesses to really fulfill that unmet need. God, that's, that's tremendous. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious about the healthcare space. So, what how does is what 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 do you do with in that regard yeah so healthcare space was a great place to get started in and still to this day around 80 to 85% of my IT clients are in the healthcare space and that's really because of one thing regulation so in healthcare there are certain regulations such as HIPAA which require patient information to be protected and of course, with electronic healthcare records, also known as EHRs, and all these various devices and things, all of the patient's records these days, most of them we can say are digital or being stored in a digital format. So law mandates and requires that practices protect this information and protect all their computers on their network. So they absolutely need a great IT service provider who's well-versed in the areas of not only those regulation or what we call compliance, so they're complying with the laws, but also that they're very familiar with cybersecurity. Healthcare is also historically a huge target of cyber attacks. We see, I mean, you can go to healthcare IT news as one uh, source, and I'm sure if you open up their webpage and go to the homepage, you'll see that Every week, there are massive data breaches of healthcare uh, information, so patient records, patient identifiers, so that's something like a date of birth or a full name or a patient address or a diagnosis. 
things like that. So this is a huge issue that's often not really covered by major news outlets. It's covered if a massive healthcare institution has a data breach, then we hear that about that on the news. But really for these smaller practices, if a data breach happens, we don't really hear about it. And they are required to, of course, report that to their patients that they have been hacked. Um, but unless you're a patient of theirs, you probably won't hear about it. But healthcare is a huge target. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of my clients are in healthcare. They need wow. I can I could I never really thought about that, but you know, I do remember something a few years ago where a hospital or somebody something was hacked and, and information was shared and certainly that is that's pretty pretty awful. Pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. So speaking of cybersecurity, let let's talk about that because I know that, that is your one of your areas of expertise. I think what would be helpful for me as someone that doesn't know a lot about your industry is sometimes it's just definitions. It's just a term of a glossary terms that if I'm not really familiar with it, maybe some of our listeners aren't either. So perhaps we could just start off with you describing and telling us what, what does cybersecurity mean? What is cybersecurity? Of course. So that's a wonderful question. And I think it's become definitely a buzzword, but people don't understand really the technical components of it. So I'm going to give you a definition today that's not super geeky, so I'm going to not speak geek to you. I want to make sure everyone can understand what I'm about to say. And I'm actually going to read the definition from the FCC, um, the Federal Communications Commission, because I think it does a great job really encapsulating what cybersecurity is. So cyberspace, that's the first thing that we need to define. So they state that cyberspace and the Internet are a critical infrastructure for commerce and communications. Disruptions in this networks and lapses in security now place at risk lives, jobs, our economy, and our well-being. Cybersecurity is the approach taken towards securing the information that flows through these broadband communication networks. This term encompasses everything from making sure that information an individual user entrusts to email or to an online website that remains private to preventing foreign governments and in infiltrating our nation's most vital communication infrastructures. Accordingly, cybersecurity is important to every American he uses the Internet in order to ensure that their communications remain protected, end quote. So I think that definition really does a good job encompassing what cybersecurity is and also what happens if we don't have cybersecurity. There are things like elections that get hacked or rigged or whatnot. There are things people's jobs are at risk. People's, the economy, the well-being. I mean, just think about how dependent we are as a society on technology. You go to the store to get a loaf of bread these days, right? So let's think about the technology that's involved with that. And if something is hacked and is not functional, you won't be able to do that. So first of all, you get out of your home or your apartment, right? And what do you get into? You get into a vehicle. 
most vehicles after about the mid-90s have a lot of computers in them. And I'm not trying to scare anyone here, but the reality is that the computers in our vehicles and how they're engineered make them extremely vulnerable to hacks and to cyber attacks. And I'm actually very surprised the low number of cyber attacks that have occurred on vehicles because they're very easy to hack into. And you're probably saying, well, Sean, what, what does that mean if somebody hacks my car? What can they do? Well, if the car is not engineered well, meaning that it has a few computers that are all connected, or as we like to call, networked together, somebody may be able to hack into that from like a Bluetooth connection or something like that and decide when the car is going to brake, when it accelerates power steering. Okay, I'm now going to turn the steering wheel now. So this is all technically capable through hacking motor vehicles. So right there, just think about like you may not even be able to leave your house if good cybersecurity is not in place because your car could be hacked. Then you get to the store, right? Well, the grocery store, a lot of stores and whatnot, well, they, let's say you're getting some milk, for example, right? The milk has to be cooled and the milk has to get there cooled. So think of all the information technology systems involved in that, just maintaining a cool temperature and ensuring the transportation and what we like to call the logistics, all the tracking of getting the milk from the farm or where, wherever it was uh, created and stored and bottled and pasteurized into the store. And then when it's in the store, it has to remain safe there and cool there. There are systems involved in that. And those systems are increasing or very vulnerable as well. A few years ago, Target, for example, and you may have heard that a lot of their, their uh, customer information was hacked. What it was that it was credit card numbers. How did a hacker get into this? It was actually through the thermostats, believe it or not. And we'll talk more about that no. later, kind of how, how that all works. But in this example of going to the grocery store, I just want to explain that, that, that even the thermostat is a vulnerability. So you get your milk, you get your bread, and uh, just think about all the systems that were involved just to get to that point. Then you go to check out at the grocery store, right? And typically these days, you're using the uh, vendor. The grocery store is using what we call a POS system, a point of sale system. This is what allows them to maybe, you know, scan the barcode on the milk or something like that. And then the computer says, oh, this is some, you know, organic 2% milk. And the database tells it, oh, this is $3.50. I, I wish milk was that cheap. But um, let's say $3.50 or something. And then, you know, the system will, the computer system will add everything up for the store clerk. And then you swipe your credit card. There, right there, is another important thing because if the network infrastructure, so the internet, a lot of times also stores, grocery stores will use what's called a 4G connection. So this is what our cell phones use. It's a network connection. So it's not using an internal internet connection. It's on a cellular network. 
4G soon, um, well, hopefully soon going to be 5G in the next five to ten years, which will be much faster. That's used. So imagine if that those systems were down. You wouldn't be able to get your milk. So just think of all this, and then even when you're driving on the street, street lights, for example, those are all controlled, the, the stoplights, those are all controlled with advanced uh, computer network systems. And so if somebody hacks into those, you can really, you can really cripple a society. And that's not even getting into the power grid, which is extremely vulnerable and relies heavily on information technology systems. And if those systems go down, and that's definitely the target of a lot of foreign government attacks, and they're trying to figure out ways to do that, you can really cripple a society and cripple an economy. So that's really just a very big picture idea in thinking about these information technology systems and how they interact and play a critical role in our daily life, even at the most basic level, which is kind of the example I gave right there. You know, I don't think I really gave this a lot of thought prior to what you're saying, but we can just look at the airports right now. We can, there, I guess there really isn't anything that, doesn't affect some form of technology. We're walking and we have we have watches now that tell us how many steps we've taken. Or you know, if our di if I have a friend that has two diabetic sons and she is constantly monitored via the via the their connections to her cell phone on how their sugar level is going. I guess mm-hmm. There's really, I don't know that you could get away from this even if you wanted to, could you? I, I mean, it, the technology, I don't, it's like anything. It's, I suppose it's like when, when people were only riding horses to get to places they were going, and then this, this vehicle with four wheels started a popping up around, and now people were taking cars, and it's like, oh, my God, how, we're going to get in a car instead of on a horse? You know, and now you move into this this technology that's really been around for quite some time. I don't really. You're saying that that I I don't even remember when I got when we got our first computers. I know that my kids are um, a little older than you, but they weren't using computers, um, and they were in elementary school and portals and all these different things that we're talking about how we communicate with our doctors and hospitals and pharmacies and it's a lot isn't it it's a lot for somebody and the older you get sometimes sometimes the grasp of all of that is even more overwhelming than like oh my god this is so cool you know i i just i think it's it it's i think it really does affect families in multiple multiple ways doesn't it it definitely does marcia and that's that's the thing is technology is becoming exponentially complex. And you mentioned earlier what we uh, a watch that counts the number of steps that we take, and we like to mm-hmm. call those wearables, right? So some sort of technology that we wear that then interfaces with another technology that collects information, so that would be our phone. And 
things are becoming very complicated for everyone. This is not just issues that businesses face, although they do have a responsibility to protect their customers' information and also their business reputation. Because if you're a vi- if you're a business and you're a victim of a cyber attack, it's it's not good. But the real problem is that these technologies are developing and uh, at an exponential rate, and humans can't really keep up. Our knowledge base can't really keep up. It shocks me how many times people will, I'll look at their phones, for example, and they'll have like 30 or 40, 50, maybe even 60 mobile applications on their cell phones. And they're putting themselves at such a big risk by doing this. But the reality is they don't know otherwise. There's minimal Mm -hmm. education that's happening. And this is across all age groups. And I've talked to a lot of schools and I'll ask them, what are you doing with technology education? And they'll tell me, oh, we're doing this robotics program and we're doing this coding program. And I think that's terrific. However, those classes are meant for people who are going to pursue a career in these areas. They're not meant for the everyday Joe. And the reality is that even the everyday Joe is using these technologies and these devices, so they should really have the knowledge and be given the knowledge of how to keep themselves safe online, how to keep their family safe, if they're a small business owner, how to keep their business safe, and things like that. You know, I, I, my mind is swirling with your information. And just the simple process, it sounds simple, of remembering passwords and then thinking, oh, darn, I've done this three times now, so now I've been locked out. Now I need to change my password. And where am I going to keep that information available? Because I'm going to have to remember it. And you and you and you mentioned our our devices. I'm not I'm not here to promote. I don't have stock in um, Apple, but you're basically going to have an iPhone or you're going to have an Android, and those phones come icons already available to you, already there. I'm at the Staples Center last night. I'm watching the basketball game, and we decided we're going to do a karaoke, and everybody's going to sing Sweet Caroline. And so the instruction was, okay, everybody, put on your flashlights. We're going to sing together. And the whole place lit up, right? Marsha's looking for where the heck her flashlight is. But the whole place <laughs> is lit up because everybody's got a cell phone, and everybody's doing that. And I think what you're almost saying, and I, I'm afraid to ask, it's like, yeah, and you know what? And somebody out there in La La Land saying, all those 17,000 people in the Staples Center that put on their flashlights, we know who you are. Now, I don't think that's really exactly what you're saying, but I, I don't think I ever really recognize what you've been talking about and how we are all, the passwords, Sean, just the passwords alone. We have these, these things called keeper and all these different applications 
that we feel like we can securely uh, keep our passwords there. You know, and, you know, as an older person, and I think, you know, God forbid something should happen to me and my kids need access to my bank or to whatever that, that's important, I tell, I tell people, I'm a widow, I tell people, look it, you need to know passwords and usernames because if your significant other is the one that's been managing all that and you don't know it, good luck. Am, am I wrong or right about that? Is that, is that? is that part of the problem here? It's, it's a major issue, Marcia, and we can uh, let's start to talk about that a little bit, and then I'd like to afterwards just provide some statistics regarding cybersecurity for small businesses. Sure. But let's address that password thing first, because you posed an excellent question, and the great thing is you're thinking this way already, so you're already way ahead of the curve because most people won't even. So let's talk about passwords for a moment and how to manage them. So I recommend a service that is called LastPass, and they are one of the few companies that I'm actually not affiliated with, so I do not have to uh, disclose anything there. However, I have been using LastPass for a while, and I really recommend their product. They have an excellent product. It's like $2 a month, and that does a password vault protection. So how it works, basically, is you have one master password that I recommend changing every 60 days, and that will unlock your password vault where you store all these other passwords that LastPass will actually generate for you. So it'll generate 16, 24 uh, digit passwords, whatever you want it to be, however many uh, numbers or symbols you want, but it'll generate these ultra secure passwords and store them for you. But here's one thing that you mentioned earlier was that what happens if you pass away? And that's something we all have to think about. And LastPass actually has a feature where you can set, and I forget exactly what they call it, but it's basically uh, a, a backup person so that is attached to your LastPass account. And how that works is they won't have access until you're basically gone. So what will happen is, let's say my dad and I, for example, um, I was his backup, and let's say something happens to him, and he, he goes missing all of a sudden, and I'm really worried about him. And so I'll, in my LastPass account, I'll put in a request to gain access to his LastPass. Now, if he's out there somewhere, he's going to receive that request, and he'll be like, oh, this is weird. I'm getting you know a request to get, grant someone access to my account. But let's say he doesn't respond in 10 days or so. Then I'll be granted access. To the entire password account. So that right there is an excellent solution for that, that problem there. Now, while on the topic of passwords, because everyone should have a password management solution like LastPass that has very advanced encryption technologies, and we could really talk all day about that, but it would become a geek show here and uh, <laughs> not listen anymore. So we're not going to go down that route, but there's one other topic that's very important to discuss around passwords, and that's something that's called multi-factor authentication, and sometimes it's called two-factor authentication or 2FA, 
And basically what that means is, let's say we're logging into, let's say I'm logging into my bank, for example. So I log into my bank, and I won't disclose which bank it is, but I go in, I enter my username, and then I grab my password from LastPass that goes in. It'll say, oh, we need to verify that it's you. So then it's going to create a code on my phone, something else that I have, that I'll then type into my computer, right? So it has multiple factors. I need both my phone and my password to get in. Some of them on my computer, I have a fingerprint reader. On my phone, I have a fingerprint reader. So, and that's what's a fingerprint. We call that a biometric. And that's something that we have, right? A fingerprint, it's unique. So I can say, oh, it's me. Verify, it's okay to get in. And there's something important also to understand about two-factor and multi-factor authentication. And that's the method by which this, you receive the second factor. So for example, a six-digit code. Now there's one, and this is the more traditional, um, well, I wouldn't say it's traditional, I would say it's actually legacy at this point, way of doing multi-factor authentication, and that is they will text you a code. Now, this is not secure, and let me tell you why this is not secure, because that code is being sent via SMS, Secure Message Service, and SMS is a really old protocol. I don't know why in the world we're still using it, other than the fact it doesn't use a lot of bandwidth, so that's you know, speed of internet. It doesn't take up much space through those... Uh, tubes of the internet if you want a visualization there. And here's the thing. It's very insecure because you can intercept something like that. A text message, an SMS message, is very easy to intercept. Something that's sent through a messenger, such as iMessage, so if you're on an iPhone, and uh, I know, for example, you and I, Marsha, were both iPhone users, and so when we message ourselves back and forth, you'll probably see that the, uh, when I get a message from you, it pops up blue on my screen. And when you receive a message from me, it pops up blue on your screen. But if you receive a, a message from someone who's on an Android phone, it probably comes in as green. So when it's coming right. in as blue, that's me that means it's being sent via iMessage. And that's encrypted and that's definitely more secure. But in these legacy two-factor authentications, they're being sent via SMS messaging, which is not secure, it's not encrypted, and it can be easily intercepted. So if somebody was targeting you for a cyber attack, and there are two types of attacks, we have random attacks and targeted attacks, they could easily intercept that and get that and then get into your account. So you really want to use for your second factor, typically something that you have, like a fingerprint, or use an application that's called an authenticator. And you put that on your mobile phone. So I have mine on my mobile phone, and it's backed up in case I, you know, my phone like goes into the swimming pool or, or something like that. And I also have it on my iPad as well, which is locked up in a safe somewhere. And that's my emergency backup right there, too. And the one I use, there's a bunch of them out there. The one I use on 
iPhone, iOS, it's called Authy. That's A-U-T-H-Y. It's a really easy application. And basically every 30 seconds, it's generating a new authentication code. So that is very important. That's important for all of us to do. It's especially important for someone like me who manages folks' IT. And I have a lot of passwords, so it's important to keep those all safe. A second factor. So I, uh, I do that. And typically, I'm actually three-factor for all my clients. So I'll have a password. And then to get into Authy, it actually requires a, a biometric. And I won't disclose which one, but it requires a biometric as well, and then that code. So that's the ultimate security right there. Whoa, that's a lot of really, really important information, John. I I really appreciate what you're saying, and you're absolutely right because you you get those on your cell phone all the time where you want to make a change, and I didn't know that that wasn't secure. And, yes, you go ahead and then you type it into, I mean, I... I have uh I don't have a Mac. I have a I have a PC. So I have a cell phone, yeah. I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, I have a I have a PC. And trying to interface all of that sometimes is a bit of a challenge. And I can really see the value of everything that you've said right now and probably will need to go back and re listen to it again. And I wanted to be that last pass is it is P-A-S-S, correct? It's not P-A-S-T. It's P-A-S-S, last pass. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Right? Okay, yes, perfect. that's correct. Yeah. All right. Well, and they're, they're a great company. And one more little thing I do want to mention yeah. right now, um, and that is the fact that not all, well, companies or websites or financial institutions will allow you to use an authenticator. And they'll say, oh, our systems are old and we will have to text you a code. And this, is the, this, this pains me and makes me scream, honestly. And I've dealt with this with clients of mine who will bank with certain banks and they're like, oh, we don't support an authenticator. And I'll typically write a two to three page letter to their uh, cybersecurity division or somewhere their CTO basically saying, hey, you really have to do this. And um, in a few cases, that, that they've actually done something. But it's one of those things where it's not required by law. So some companies won't do it. Of course, companies like Google and technology companies like that, they really pioneered it. So all of those support it. Um, but sometimes you'll get banks and whatnot who are, oh, no, we're going to text you a code. And it's like, that's that's not really good. So what I sometimes tell people for those is if if your bank is doing that, you may want to even go back to the kind of the, more of the old days where, hey, if there's a major transaction or something like that or change on the account, I have to talk to my banker over the phone and it has to be someone who knows my voice and can recognize it. And I know a lot of my clients will do that. Um, where they actually won't even activate the online banking um, and require the, the really the second factor there to be their human voice with a banker that they know. So there, there are some things where you kind of have to go uh, old school, I guess. <laughs> I guess. And, and I don't know about how many of those people that are listening, what their, what their personal preferences 
are as far as banking as an example because I know you I can understand the healthcare industry is enormous uh, enormous but for me personally I pay all of my bills online they all get deducted from my checking account whether it's my business or my personal account there obviously my checking account is linked to my credit card and things like that uh, or, or anything else, any other bill that I'm paying, my, my Verizon bill, whatever it might be, uh, everything is automatically deducted. And you can almost hear the older generation, I mean, I'm talking people, the generation above me, saying, well, that's why I'm not doing that. That's why there's stamps. That's why there's envelopes. My, my telephone bill is due. I'm not letting anybody get into my bank account. I'm going to mail you a check. You can almost hear the the flip side, you know, of thinking, wow, you know, I don't want to actually live in that world of fear, so I just tend to want to stick my head deep in the ground. But I do think that some of your advice is a way around that, where you're not really recommending that we go back to the Pony Express. We we are taking advantage of some of these services because it makes our lives easier. Is that right? That's correct. And there's one thing, not to make this a show about financial services, because I'd like to move on in a moment to uh, businesses and small businesses and cybersecurity there. Mm -hmm. But um, one recommendation that I do have, and again, I'm not a financial advisor or anything like that, but from a cybersecurity standpoint, and this is something that I have all of my family members doing, is we'll have a debit card account, each of us, that's not linked to any of our primary checking or savings accounts. And I know my dad calls it his online account. I call mine my rent and bills account. And basically what happens is, because like you, I have money taken out automatically every month from an account. Well, I have that taken out from an account that is completely separate from all of my other accounts. So basically, towards the end of each month, I know, oh, I have to put X amount of money into this account to make sure that my bills are paid, right? And so I'll write a check. It's under the same, if it's a company, it's under the same company. If it's me as an individual, the account is under me as an individual, and I'll do an old-fashioned check into that um, account, and then the money is withdrawn from that account. So then I really keep that account at a minimum balance because if anyone were to get into that account, there'd really be nothing there for them, and also it's not linked to any of my other accounts. So that's an important thing as well because sometimes if you get into one account, they can get into the other Account. So that's why I recommend a separate one. And like those accounts, I always have a debit card for them too. So I know sometimes there's an increase in um, chances of being hacked at a gas station, for example, getting uh, credit card information stolen. So if I'm at a gas station that maybe I don't go to so often, or if I'm traveling, for example, I'll always use the debit card that's that um, online for that online account. And then, of course, too, we want to protect those cards as well. So you can go online and you can get little uh, 
basically they're, they're sleeves that you can put your cards into so that uh, no one can walk past right. you and grab, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your, your card information um, with uh, NFC near field communication. Right. All right. Wow. Let's go over to the medium-sized businesses and people that own small businesses, and how do you recommend that they protect themselves in this digital dark arts? Yes. So um, first I want to start off by going over a few statistics because the most common mindset is, oh, great, people are talking about cybersecurity, you know, on Marsha's show, on, you know, the news, whatever it may be. Oh, I read about it online, but, oh, this, this really, I doubt it affects me. And that's the most common attitude I get. So I'm going to start by presenting you with some facts, and this is from a Hiscox report, and they are, of course, an insurance company that also provides cyber insurance. Um, And for larger companies, they'll typically have actually a cybersecurity insurance policy. And these statistics are very much in line of those in the industry, so that's why I like them. So first of all, Seven out of 10 businesses, so that is 70% of businesses of all sizes are unprepared to deal with a cyber attack. They are unprepared, 70%. That is very, very, very bad um, that they are unprepared to deal with a cyber attack. And when you think about that, just think about both from a business perspective and also a consumer perspective. Now, if you're talking about a larger company, for example, so this would be more than 500 employees, the average cost to those companies per company for cybercrime is $1.05 million per year. So this is people, these are larger companies getting their data breached, things like that. And in smaller businesses, it's even more prevalent, of course, the amount of money that the cost is less because there is less at stake there, uh, dollars-wise, of course. But the smaller businesses are often, the big companies are victims typically of what we call targeted cyber attacks. So it's some hacker somewhere in the world saying, I want to hack and get into, you know, some some company. Uh, let's say Facebook, for example. And so they'll target that company. For small businesses, yes, they can be a victim. And I've seen people who are victims of a targeted cyber attack, but they're more targeted of a random So what is a random attack? So a random attack is basically these hackers will try to find vulnerabilities on anyone's network, right? So they'll get in, and the most common way of getting in to a network, especially a business network, is actually through email. People are still using programs such as Microsoft Outlook, the desktop application. That's a legacy application that should have been retired 10 years ago, in my opinion. Again, that's from a cybersecurity standpoint. Businesses still use that. Emails come in. 
the attachments will download automatically. The computer is infected, and this is extremely problematic. They will often have, we have an increased number of ransomware attacks. What is that? Basically, the hacker will get in, and they will hold systems captive, right? So there was a huge shipping company that this happened to about, I think it was a year or two ago, where all it was like 50 or 60,000 computers got this attack, right? And all the users, all the employees were locked out of their computers. No one could conduct business. And the hackers were asking for a ransom that was in the tune of millions of dollars. And it was, of course, through Bitcoin. And so you get yourself in situations like that where unless, you know, the company pays the attacker, then really you're out of luck. This particular company actually had to get all new computers as well, um, which is a huge cost to the business. So it's really critical that people, and this is my advice to small businesses, is that they do hire someone that, and I'm not just saying this because I'm an, a cybersecurity person, but they, they do need to hire a consultant um, to come in, assess the vulnerabilities, put the proper infrastructure in place, so that's both hardware and software. Um, for antivirus, for example, they shouldn't be really running an antivirus that they went and purchased at Best Buy. That's not adequate enough. Again, I'm not bashing Best Buy here or any of the big box mm -hmm. retailers, but you, you're at a much greater advantage from a security standpoint if you get an enterprise-grade antivirus solution that can be acquired through certain resellers. And it's not more expensive. Like we sell ESET, for example, enterprise endpoint security. And full disclosure, of course, I am a partner of them and I have been for a couple of years and there's a reason why I chose to become a partner of them because they have the best technology with neural networks that instantly implements patches and things like that. People on the standalone, you know, stuff from big box retailers, Nicosee, Symantec, uh, Webroot, um, Kaspersky, that, which has been actually uh, banned for sale and recommended by the FBI, that um, no one used that. Some people are still using it for some reason, but there is a lot of proof that it is um, controlled by the Russian government, which is extremely problematic for obvious reasons. And the reality is these people were, I had last week a client who had uh, six computers in their office all running on McAfee, and it was just the home version of McAfee, and three of them were hacked, and we installed ESET endpoint security on these, and they found like 20 or 30 bugs per computer. And this was with someone who had an antivirus, not a good one, uh, solution installed on their computer. And that is extremely scary to me because that's providing them with a false sense of security because a lot of these companies, how it'll work is a virus is released in the universe, right? And it'll come to some programmer's desk at those companies and they'll be like, oh, let me write a patch and like 
12 days later, they'll deploy a patch, and then, oh, as a user, you have to update your antivirus to get the patch. Well, you know, 14, 15 days have gone by. Now everyone is infected already, whereas with neural networks, it's an instantaneous uh, patch and fix, or almost instantaneous, so much more. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm just thinking about my own personal usage of the internet. The uh, I I didn't even know that's how you say Mac. I thought it was Maxi. I mean, that's what I have. I think in in the past, I think it was Norton Antivirus. Um, I don't think that. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else, so I shouldn't even attempt to do that. I'll just speak for myself. I I feel like I'm in um, preschool as far as my learning curve when I depend on my computer so much for so many things, whether it's professional or if it's personal, certainly social media. I I mean, I'm in the social media world. I depend on social media, but that's not to say that that technical company that or small business where they have six to 10 computers, that they're doing business also. They're they're doing business. They have revenue attached to what they're doing, and to not have this the secure understanding that what you have in your network is secure, regardless of what it is. It's a trucking business. It's a whatever it might be. It's it's really staggering. I'm surprised that. Well, I mean, we're not going to get into the political scene right now, and, and even Facebook has certainly had its obvious issues but just the common everyday joe that is just using their computer for for personal reasons and maybe not for business reasons um, the application of understanding how to keep ourselves safe i don't think i ever really understood how important that is because i don't think i really understood cyber attacking the way you've been able to to beautifully define it it's 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 remarkable i you must have an industry that's going to be very lucrative because i would seem that people really need this, these kinds of services i'm telling you yeah it's 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 really important that everyone does have a good cybersecurity strategy and that's both if they're a home or a business because homes now are becoming more and more complex. They're what business networks kind of used to be because now it's no longer, oh, you have one family computer at home. It's, you know, you might have one family computer, then you have four smart TVs. Those are all devices connected to your network. You have your ring doorbell. You have your security cameras. Those are all connected to the network. You have the three kids. Each of them probably has a laptop they use for school, a tablet that they use for pleasure, and a cell phone. And then you have mom and dad who have their devices, both personal and probably computers that they're bringing home from work as well. So just think about the number of devices that are coming on networks, smart refrigerators, these Internet of Things devices that are making these networks increasingly complex smart thermostats and every time you add something like that you're adding a vulnerability and that is something that's really important to understand now of course you can mitigate those risks 
And that's what my job is to help people and companies mitigate those risks to, and to make sure that those things don't happen and have plans in place, have training in place. That's a huge thing. A lot of the cyber attacks are actually because the employees weren't trained properly on how to handle certain things, to pick up on certain cues and like phishing emails or things like that. And so training is critical. And in addition to having, of course, the right hardware and the right software and being constantly on top of technology because technology, we move extremely fast. And that's what's so exciting to me too because I am constantly learning every morning I get a few different news sources from very reputable IT journals. I also receive updates from federal um, parts of the federal government and federal agencies that have found certain vulnerabilities and some other uh, intelligence that I can't really talk about. And mm-hmm. you see all of all of the vulnerabilities that are out there, all the things that are changing. And the sad thing is that people really don't know what, what these devices, how, how to use them and how to protect themselves. So I know we're kind of getting close to the end of this show. So before we wrap up, I would like to provide listeners with a few action items, and this would be Please. that are applicable really to both home users and business users, and this is very basic. So here they are. So the first is, of course, having a reliable enterprise-grade um, antivirus solution, uh, something like ESET Endpoint Security. Of course, we're a reseller of that. The second is make sure that your data is backed up securely in the cloud with a reliable secure backup solution that encrypts the data both at rest, so when it's on the server, and in transit when it's going through the tubes of the internet up to the server. We're a partner and reseller of Carbonite. We love Carbonite and working with them for a long time. They're an excellent partner of ours. The next is secure your network. So this is your Wi-Fi, things like that at home. This stuff really gets complicated, so you do, you, I do recommend hi, hiring a cybersecurity or IT expert for this, um, somebody who can consult and put the right hardware in place. Um, we resell Arrowhive and absolutely love them for Wi-Fi, for home Wi-Fi solutions. There are things like the Orbi out there that you can actually get at um, Best Buy or something like that, uh, or the Eero. Those are both excellent choices. I, I, typically like the Orbi a little more, and those are uh, what we call Wi-Fi mesh networks, and those have fairly good security. The next thing is to not use a desktop email program, so something like um, the Outlook application on your computer or the Mac Mail application on your Mac if you're on Mac. Um, you really, these programs were built a long time ago um, when there wasn't web applications to access your email. These applications, in my opinion, should really be forbidden. There, there's so many uh, places for vulnerabilities here. So just logging in, for example, at 
gmail.com, opening up your web browser like Google Chrome or something like that. Um, that that's perfect. That's how you want to access your email. You don't want everything downloaded uh, to your computers. Um, Macs need antivirus protection too. Uh, don't, don't forget about them. Don't think because you're on a Mac that you're super safe. You're definitely more safe on a Mac, but you still have to have that protection mindset. If you're out and about, so whether you are traveling or at a coffee shop or things like that, you want to definitely run everything through what's called a VPN, a virtual private network. So this encrypts all the data uh, traffic uh, that's going to and from the internet. Um, so that's, that's really important. There are a bunch of them out there. Um, there's not really one that uh, I prefer. Um, I, I do a lot of my work through um, uh, servers and things in Switzerland. So Proton VPN is a, is a Swiss company I like. And then uh, the last thing is if you want to increase your privacy, of course, reduce tracking and things like that on your uh, mobile phone, you can get a uh, application to use instead of Safari and a search engine instead of Google. It's called DuckDuckGo. Um, I know it's a funny name. Excellent application. I highly recommend Say it. Say that again. And on the uh, Duck Duck Go, so it's like Duck Duck Goose, but instead of the goose, yeah. it's Go. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. that's a great way to browse uh, the web uh, more a little bit more anonymously. Reduce the number of trackers and stuff like that on your smartphone. Um, and on the uh, on the desktop, of course, you can use that. You can make that your search engine really on any browser. Um, or if you want to install a more safe browser, I use Brave, B-R-A-V-E browser. That's an excellent solution as well. Whoa. I think that what would be really, really important as, we're, as you are right, as we we're coming, well, this could have been a two-hour show, huh, Sean? We had all these plans mm -hmm. that we were going to talk about, and, and I just, I'm so grateful for your flexibility and sharing this information. I would like people to know how they can reach you and how you spell your name. So for those of you listening, because you don't have to live in Los Angeles, you don't have to be Sean's neighbor like he's my neighbor, where I might have him come over and sit right next to me. You can call. You can get in touch with Sean at just simply typing in Sean, and that's S E A N Story S T O R Y dot com, and you can get to his website because. One of the things that Sean did with me last Monday after a show when I was freaking out was I, I, couldn't, I couldn't maneuver around an issue I had with my show. And you were able to um, log on so that you could help show me and you, I could show you what I was doing where you could share that screen with me. And that was so comforting to know that I could resolve that problem with your assistance. And clearly anyone that's listening today can appreciate your knowledge in this field. And you've given some wonderful, wonderful suggestions. I don't know that I've, I've, I've taken notes while I've tried to listen and then tried to write, and then I don't know if I can even read my notes, but I will do my best because I think that what you've provided, everyone that's listening today such a wake-up call. If, if nothing else, Sean, your story, your last name, but your story, I think, really does lead all of us that are listening to just wake up that, you know, perhaps there are some simple things. You don't have to take 
every single thing that you've said, depending upon, you know, if you're a small business, which you're helping, or large businesses, the the healthcare industry and the HIPAA and all of that, or if you're a small business like myself, uh, you've just given me and I'm sure the listeners a lot to think about. And I think that you're you're a busy guy, and I know we run into each other at a lot of different events um, b- between our chamber and our and our Rotary. But I I think that those members of both of those organizations that we belong to, if they're listening today, they will be able to go back and go, wow, wow, Sean. I just I want to thank you for the generosity of all of this information that you've shared with me personally. And with my listeners, it, it, this was an outstanding educational show today. And I, I want to thank you so much for, for sharing that knowledge with me. My pleasure. And thank you so much for having me, Marcia. I look forward to talking and seeing you soon. And, again, if anyone has any questions, uh, please reach out to me, SeanStory.com, or shoot me a text message, 310 and stay safe on the internet. That's great. And you know what? Since you've gone ahead and have written, uh, you know, you've orally given your phone number, uh, with your permission, may I include that in my uh, follow-up blog if people want to reach you directly through text? Yes, please do. Perfect. Then I will do that as well, Sean. And Thank you once again. I know that you are a very busy man. I, I feel like I was just talking to Superman, a crime fighter. Uh, you know, I just <laughs> phenomenal. So have a have a great week for you and I. We will see each other on Wednesday. For the rest of you, I don't think that it stops here because trust me, just because my show is today doesn't mean I don't have a ne- show next week. And next week, my show is with the man by the name of Ryan Howes. And he's a clinical psychologist and writer. And we're going to be talking about the value of therapy and demystifying the process. So that's next week's show. Go out there. It's a madness time of year. If you're following basketball like I am, I hope your brackets don't break. And until next time, thank you all so much. And also just thank you, Sean, so much for being my guest today. I look forward to having you join me next week, everybody. Until next time.